I hope we walk out of here today with an agreement on nature as ambitious as the Paris Agreement in terms of having goals, targets and specific commitments for nature-based solutions that can actually protect, conserve, reforest, protecting the indigenous people and the traditional peoples that are actually the ones that protect the forest and keep it standing. The news of the three carbon negative countries coming together and putting a statement out there that other countries could achieve by preserving their natural resources, by restoring those areas that have been degraded already. Around the world, you know, over 1.6 billion people rely on the global food system, you know, uh, particularly in those globally traded commodities like palm oil, like cocoa, for example, which we import into the United Kingdom. So, you know, we need to put smallholder farmers right at the heart of this conversation. So the announcements today will really support that. Hello, hello, and welcome along, or welcome back to COP26 Covered. This is ED's dedicated podcast show for anybody and everybody who has a passion for accelerating climate action and wants to get their daily COP fix without having to bear the blistering rain and endless security gates. Today we've got a treat in store for you because we're broadcasting to you from a very makeshift podcasting studio, uh, which is in fact the kitchen slash living room of the ED team's Airbnb here in Glasgow. So I'm joined once again by the dynamic duo that is Matt and Sarah, along with some tea, some stale biscuits, and an inflatable banana to bring you a full roundup and interviews from an action-packed nature day of COP26. So let's get on with the show. Okay, yes, uh, hello again, everybody. Uh, welcome to our humble abode. Um, this is where the ED magic happens uh, because I'm sat at the breakfast table here in our Airbnb in Finiston, uh, which has been the ED team's base uh, for the past week. The location couldn't be better. Uh, we're literally just five minutes down the road uh, from the SEC Centre in Glasgow, which houses the COP26 Blue Zone. But like most people, we had to make the call between quality of living and distance from COP. It's fair to say we definitely prioritised the latter with this trip. I mean, it's not unbearable, but it's also probably not somewhere I'd choose to stay on holiday. Matt, maybe you could summarise our surroundings, paint a bit of a picture for our listeners. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the quintessential uni experience, isn't it? Um, it's, if you ever watch those programmes where, you know, um, people reach out to house builders or like famous developers to come and renovate, this is very much the before of that. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's got everything you need. It's got um, it's got a shower. It's got a, it has got a shower. It's got a toilet. It's got a washing machine. It's a got a banana fridge. It's got an inflatable banana and some kind of motivating posters. I mean, it's 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 everything you need for for cop, but not everything you want. Mm. Yeah, and hot water as well, which we should mention is makes a change from being at COP, doesn't it? Like they only, only use cold water in all of the all of the toilet facilities well, at the COP twenty six. At least because it's a temporary yeah. insulation. Um, but I think it's to do with uh, being more sustainable, obviously. Um, That's why I walked extra to go to the actual toilet <laughs> <Yeah>. centre. <laughs> so uh, essentially, yeah, basically this is student digs. Um, I feel old even saying that nowadays, but. Um, these students have very essentially cashed in on, on and gone away for the week to let us have the place at sort of Mayfair prices, which we were all too happy to pay. 
Anyway, Sarah, hello. Um, any words so far from you of the inflatable banana? Yes. Um, how are you doing today? Good. Um, it's been a bit of a quieter day in that it is a Saturday, but the official rest day isn't until the Sunday, so still a fair few people milling around, still lots of big announcements. And it's, um, it's mine and Matt's last day here in Glasgow. We're getting the train back down south tomorrow, so a time for reflection. I think Matt said earlier that he'll actually miss the media zone in the blue zone at this point. Stockholm syndrome, you know. I've been off the chance to be, but I don't want to. I want to go back to uh, what is essentially quite an abusive relationship with the media zone. (laughs) I can't can't believe you're saying you miss that media zone. It's just the lights and the it's so headache-inducing in there. I love the action zone. If we haven't already said that on this podcast, that's my favourite place. There was a chap asleep in the media zone yesterday. But as you say, this is an audio experience, so I can't show you the picture, but it was very funny. Yeah, we probably also shouldn't have been taking a picture of people falling asleep in the media zone, but it was a funny pic. I almost got one of Sarah falling asleep in there today, actually, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Well, probably right about time to to be heading back down to the global south, then, that is West Sussex tomorrow morning. Um... Don't panic everyone, I should mention on that note, because the pod will continue every day throughout uh, the rest of COP26. That means I'll have my work cut out, I'm sure, with the daily intros and live interviews and all the editing. Um, But Matt and Sarah will still be on hand to deliver our COP coverage uh, and we'll continue to do those episodes Somehow, I hear there's an, yeah, an app called Zoom that uh, might allow us to do it, might allow us to connect. And with today being your last day on the ground at COP, we decided to uh, yeah, go out with a bang, didn't we, last night? Fireworks night, um, pun intended. Uh, we had a big girls' night out, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put on, my, put on my best dress and my high heels and I was ready. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was good fun. It was nice to eat, um, you know, something that just wasn't a, a ready meal. It was nice to actually go to a restaurant um, and yeah, not have to wait for the hum of the microwave to ding. Mm. Yeah, the food always tastes better as well when you get a situation like ours last night, which was that we hadn't booked anywhere. Everywhere that we called, Sarah, obviously, out of the three of us, is the one who does call up in advance and try and book sensibly. Um, but everywhere was fully booked. And so we just decided to try our chances. Literally, first restaurant we walked into, there'd been a no-show, so we managed to get a perfect seat and have a lovely meal. So... Um, yeah, it was a nice way of... You think it's a no-show. I called them ahead of time and told them to get rid of that table. <laughs> I did think, yeah, it was too good to be or true. Else. Yeah. So, yeah, lovely uh, lovely meal last night. I suppose we're officially now past the halfway mark of COP26 as well. So, Matt, what's been your kind of highlight of the week that you've had up here in IRL? I think, um, I think obviously, the, the Nico Rosberg interview was, was great, just how that came, came about very, very quickly, and we managed to, to get that done. And, and in fairness, a lot of our um, video interviews in particular have been very kind of, there's that person over there. Luke, are you sure that's definitely that person? Because you're pretty bad at spotting people. Yes, that. that is that person. And we've managed to do a lot of interviews like that, which has been been quite nice um so i think that's all i think just um hopefully we are a part of history like we this could be the two weeks we look back and you know the world actually pushed into 1.5c based on ambitions and to be there and be a part of that would be quite special but there's a lot of noise on the outside about how you know cop 26 is, is a failure and that's what kind of greta was saying at the at the marches and the strikes yesterday and, and maybe it will be Maybe it won't be, but hopefully we, we look back on this and be like, yeah, we were a part of that. Mm. Yeah, one thing's for sure is the, the energy and the, the amount of commitments actually being made and the, uh, the types of discussions being had. I would say having reported on these cops for quite a few years now is, is very palpably different 
business has a seat at the table first of all but second of all it's just I don't know there's an edge to the conversations this time it's so much less about having to convince people to do stuff it's more about the level of action they're actually taking and it's much more about implementation so nature day as well today so I've found that there's been a lot of more discussion of things like nature mm. and water so topics that intersect with just emissions mm. what's been your highlight it's like you said really it's that this is a part of history and there's only been 26 so far but it's unlikely that the UK will ever have the host presidency again Mm. um, in our lifetime so it is just really that feeling that it is once in a lifetime that there is that energy I've just glanced up at the uh, the the motivational poster that Matt referenced when he was introducing the uh, introducing our digs um, thousands of candles can be lit from a single candle and the life of the candle will not be shortened I mean I question that on a very kind of literal level it would be shortened surely a little bit possibly would I mean I'm not sure if it's meant literally Matt surely but the longest life of a candle is the candle you don't like you're always trying better <laughs> the, the poster but uh, this I, is not a philosophy podcast I just yes. thought it's quite fitting. It's quite a fitting message for uh, for COP. It says at the bottom, happiness never decreases from being shared. So maybe ambition or care. Mm. Yeah, that one I'm, I'm more on board with. Yeah. <laughs> Get that one. Starting to like this place, aren't we? Yeah. Um, right, so um, I'm aware we've actually got a podcast episode to deliver now. So uh, three interviews lined up. I'm sure we'll also have to do an emotional goodbye at the end or something. So let's pick up the pace. Sarah, our Victoria Derbyshire in disguise, up for another 30 second challenge um you mean about the news headlines for today yes sure (laughs) (laughs) uh right matt you ready to time no interjecting this time as well that really put sarah under pressure yeah you cut it down by five seconds no it wasn't a lie i mean i think that i think interjecting helps because otherwise you don't get you don't realize how fine whisper your interjections at most so um should we count down from three Well, just to set some context, today was uh, Nature Day, uh, which of course was all about ensuring the importance of nature and sustainable land use are part of global action on climate change and a clean green recovery. Uh, Yes, I was just reading it off the COP26 website. But Sarah, there's some really significant climate and nature related announcements made. So 30 seconds, give us the top line. Well, hang on, I've pressed the time, but the 30 seconds is gone. Okay, go. Investors with $8.7 trillion of assets have pledged to end deforestation in their portfolios by 2025. 95 UK businesses are targeting net positivity. Um, Also, lots of commitments from nations on agricultural policy and innovations. 150 nations and non-state actors chiming in on those and back to the UK businesses because I have time um, five of them are supermarkets and they're halving the impact Stop. of the basket this decade yes done. it's as if Sarah's reading that off of something but she's not she just sort of <laughs> stares into a space and somehow taps into like the article yeah. she's written or something it's pretty incredible so one of those weird skills that yeah no it's practicing for like language UCSEs you know when you have to do the speech and you have to just remember them oh right yeah Yeah. okay yeah you didn't mention anything about Pokemon or anything like that were there any other notable kind of did anyone spot any weird I mean it was so blustery and horrible outside it was I I didn't see anything today there was a die-in actually outside the cloakroom a bunch of people pretended to be dead 
oh. um, highlighting the air pollution crisis. Yeah, actually, I saw like in the action zone some guy holding up a sign, and he had like um, brown liquid all over his hands. I think it was meant to represent oil, but it didn't look like oil. Right. Yeah, um, okay. that was a bit strange. I kind of gave him a bit of a, a, a wide. I was going to uh, say, uh, I'm not sure that was the kind of protest that we're talking about, Matt. But um, right, so uh, it's about time to get stuck into the interviews and actually discuss the uh, the details of these announcements a bit more. You'll be pleased to hear that I did some actual journalism today. I stopped stalking Ed Miliband for a few moments and spoke with the head of the Nature Campaign uh, for COP26, which we'll get onto later in the show. Um, you guys also spoke to different experts and leaders from across the spectrum of this huge global topic of nature-based solutions and biodiversity. So, should we go in chronological order? Matt, I think that's probably you first, considering you had this chat before today. Yeah, so the, the person I was speaking to, incredibly busy schedule, um, so I was only able to fit this in a few days prior, which meant I had a nice relaxing day today. Got, mm. got to put myself in front of the desk and get a fair few words written about COP, okay. um, which is kind of my job, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, just uh, kind of kickstart nature, I was speaking to one of only three carbon-negative countries in the world. I wasn't speaking to the actual country, that's physically <laughs> impossible, but I was speaking to the National Director of Protected Areas and Biodiversity at the Ministry of Environment in Panama and the President of the Coiba National Park Board. Um, so met her at the Panama Pavilion uh, in the Pavilion Zone and just caught up on lessons from a carbon negative country. Mm, yeah, it should be a really interesting global perspective on, on nature loss and biodiversity. So. Let's just play that interview with Shirley in full. So yes, to mark Nature Day at COP26, I've taken a trip around some of the other national pavilions in the Blue Zone, uh, many of which seem much greener, quite literally, uh, than the stoic red and blue of the UK pavilion. Uh, and on my travels, of which I've gotten lost in this hall twice already, uh, I've been introduced to our next podcast guest. Um, Shirley Binder is the National Director of Protected Areas and Biodiversity at the Ministry of Environment in Panama and President of the Coiba National Park Board, uh, which is officially the longest entrance in terms of a job title to an ED podcast episode. So Shirley, congratulations on that accolade. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today. Perhaps you could tell me a bit about uh, that incredibly long job title and, and what it entails. Yeah, thank you so much and thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, Actually, my job title is the Director of Protected Areas and Biodiversity, but within my, my, my job or my work, I have the Coiba National Park, which has a board of directors, a board, yeah, kind of board of directors, and I'm the president with, together with the Minister of Environment. So yeah, it is a, a, a little bit long, but my job, my daily the job it's protecting areas, protected areas, uh, both marine and land. Panama has 33% of its land protected and 30.5% of its ocean protected since the 8th of June, the ocean day of this year. So for us, uh, for Panama, it's uh, incredibly important to maintain these protected areas and to improve the mitigation of climate change with these protected areas and especially with the oceans that are new in the climate change agreements since the last uh, COP25. Uh, that's why we expanded one of the protected areas to achieve the 30 percent or the 30 by 30 which is what scientists had been recommending that it's what we need to protect uh, uh, the ocean but not only to protect uh, 
sides of the ocean that don't, don't need to be protected, but this uh, Cordillera de Coiba, it is one of the the most important migratory routes that we have for sharks, whales, sea turtles, and we're connected together with Ecuador, Colombia, and Costa Rica. So it's extremely important for us, and especially being a carbon negative country. Uh, and that carbon negative, it is because we have our, for our forests and our mangroves and seagrass beds which absorb carbon and they need to be uh, taken care of. I mean, being a carbon negative country is quite amazing when we're at COP26 and, and the message is still, let's get to, to net zero, you know, let's not even, you know, get to negative, let's, let's emit less and mitigate the rest somewhere else. Um, you, you obviously mentioned the biodiversity has been key to the success of that, but, but do you feel that this is perhaps a stage for, for Panama to really share its successes and perhaps even get other nations to, to up their, their approach to this as well? Yeah, completely. So during this COP, Panama, eh, from the countries, only three countries are carbon negative. The Paris Agreement's one carbon neutral. And so we ex exceeded the, the Paris Agreement by being that carbon negative. And also Suriname and Bhutan are the other two countries which are carbon negative. In the, during the COP, eh, we have signed, the government of Panama has signed an agreement with the, these other two countries to come together and, and ask for that financial aid that we as developing countries need to be able to conserve our natural resources or forests or oceans in order to continue to be carbon negative forever. And when when I say ask for, for financial needs, it's for, for other big countries which have been the bigger emitters uh, and need to put more into conserving these important forests which are not as pristine as in our countries around the world. But it's extremely important the news of the three carbon negative countries coming together and putting a statement out there that other countries could achieve by preserving their natural resources, by expanding their protected areas, by restoring uh, those areas that have been degraded already. And I think um, we're starting, my, my understanding is we're starting to, to get to grips a bit better with that link between nature and biodiversity and the climate crisis, the role that, how intertwined they are, you know, degrading one degrades the other, restoring one helps restore the other. Um, it's starting to get a bit more prominence among world leaders, businesses are really starting to, you know, incorporate biodiversity into their strategies. Um, but it's it's still kind of very lacking definition, you know, it's it's easy to put a monetary value on carbon that's a carbon price. It's a lot harder to do that for nature, you know, natural capital's still kind of not really well defined. How how do you feel that um, you know world leaders and, and business decision makers can really start to get to grips with the links between nature and climate. So yeah, definitely it is more and more common to have businesses being involved in being a carbon negative or having a circular economy or, or helping countries or helping NGOs to preserve biodiversity and putting financial needs, which is something really, really important because this actually takes a, a lot of money but businesses are, are also seeing that converting into sustainable uh, for example renewable energies and sustainable tourism and other kinds of businesses it's actually uh, worth it it's actually viable in in terms of economy after the pandemic and not talking about carbon uh, uh, carbon uh, related but after the pandemic the tourism industry they don't want to go to those big ones hotels that it's all included now they want to go outside they want to go to 
the to, to nature to explore nature and the tourism industry is moving towards that and that's extremely important for conservation so the link in between governments so between for example me that i'm the director of protected area in the ministry of environment so the government of panama with investments and and industries that come to that can come together and create sustainable tourism for that involve also the communities which are the more vulnerable people the, com the coastal communities are the most vulnerable people regarding climate change is extremely important that will bring benefit to the investor because the tourism is moving toward that but it will also benefit the communities around protected areas indigenous communities not indigenous communities that live around or inside by by tourism coming in then they don't not only go to this natural places they need to eat they need to stay somewhere they need to uh, to to explore there are different activities that communities could provide so but the investment part is extremely important so the business people are going towards that and during the international chamber of commerce one uh, one of the webinars a business guy was saying we are looking at it as an opportunity so we want to start or we want to continue or improve our, our, our business to be sustainable. So, and the people, not only, not, not only environmentalists, not only governments, not only Ministry of Environment, more and more are making more wise decisions regarding to what they eat, what they buy, where they go, and everything related to conserving nature and biodiversity and the ecosystems as a whole. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, that notion that, that people are falling back in love with nature again. I remember lockdown, I was in a, a kind of small flat on the third floor, no, no outdoor space for me. I was, you know, much more appreciative just to be able to go, out, go for a walk or a run down the, the, down the local kind of woods. Bit. So, and I think that's really kind of created this more societal shift, a better appreciation of nature, whether or not we're valuing it as much as we should be, probably remains to be seen. And that brings me on to... Um, COP26. We've had a lot of talks in this first week, you know, a lot of welcome talks and announcements on energy and finance in particular. Um, but as we move into the second week, which is probably going to be a bit more focused on the on nature and ecosystems and, and the infrastructure, the, the way we live, what would, um, uh, what would have to happen for you to consider COP26 to be a success? Yeah, so... Uh, first, uh, it is right, this week has been all about finance and we to take action we need that finance, we need the money. And the, the, the slow and one of the slow ones of COP26, it's taking action. Stop talking, let's make, make action and for that um, this week has been really important. For the, But you said that next week we're going to focus more in, in nature and in biodiversity but actually since this week we have been seeing that countries, for example Panama, Colombia and Costa Rica um, and Ecuador, the four presidents signed an agreement to improve the conservation of a mar extremely large marine corridor which is one of the most important marine corridors but for the next uh, for the next week i i hope that do in the negotiations and in 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 the agreements and during the side events and 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 lobbying that people do during the side events uh, we should see more about conserving oceans which is extremely important uh, for carbon absorption but also for oxygen also for food and involving and also uh, 
starting to think more about those vulnerable communities that I talked before. So how to integrate those vulnerable communities in the solution, but the solution needs to be economically viable. So that's where uh, we need to, to, to go. Uh, as we always say in the Ministry of Environment, protected areas, for example, they, they, they are created because we need to conserve the, what is in it and the ecosystem services that it brings, but they should bring a social and an economic benefit for people around and inside. So when we were talking about different business strategies, an investor that wants to invest in sustainable tourism because it also needs to be regulated and sustainable around nature and communities get benefit from that, that's the perfect way to conserve that area. So you can have a thousand park rangers in any part of the world, but if you have a community that is not empowered with what they have around, it will be much complicated to take care of what you have. So I think uh, that's uh, some, uh, it is a new way to to see how to conserve protected areas uh, or, or, or pristine nature, but it needs to, it needs to be a part of the agenda because these people are the most vulnerable people and the people that most need for their livelihoods uh, uh, more sustainable business around nature. I do think that's why it was so important that COP26 happened in person rather than virtually to give those, to give a voice, to give a platform to, to those voices, as you mentioned. And, it, and obviously, we're, I suppose we're in the middle of like a COP sandwich with the CBD COP has, has done its preliminary talks and is, is scheduled to carry on early next year. So hopefully by the time we next get to catch up, there, there is kind of a big kind of momentum shift uh, on this. But, um, Shelley, um, I appreciate you know we're at the Panama Pavilion and, and that you've got plenty of events and discussions going on. So I don't want to keep you uh, much longer. So I will um, let you and the rest of your team prep for your next sessions. This talk about nature has wanted me to get out of the blue zone and go and uh, try and find some nature in the central Glasgow for a bit. So I'm going to do that. But Shirley, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure uh, to talk to you and this has been a great uh, interview and hopefully we see you and the people that hear this podcast in Panama to show uh, the nature that we have and the oceans and forests that we, we have and that's why we are a carbon negative country. Well, fascinating chat there about the crucial importance of this topic of, of nature and biodiversity and, and its global impact. So having listened to that chat, I actually think it might be best to break the chronological order and listen to my interview next, um, if that's okay, Sarah. Not that I'm biased or anything. I'll say it's okay now, but watch yourself tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this one flows on really nicely mm-hmm. um, because we'll stick with the public sector perspective, um, which was my chat, um, before then getting the perspective of businesses on all of this, uh, which should round it off well. So literally just a few short hours ago, I, I returned to Edie's favourite area of COP26, the Action Zone. This is the place with that big rotating globe above everyone's head for anyone who's seen the thousands of pics and selfies across social media um, and I had the privilege of sitting down with David Saddington who is the head of the COP26 nature campaign for the UK working with within Bayes. Um, now I think I introduced David during my chat with him so apologies for the double introduction but essentially we talk about today's big nature announcement and what all these announcements uh, that have been made today uh, mean in the context of the UK environment and UK policy and and businesses. So let's jump straight into my chat earlier with David. 
Okay, so yes, uh, here I am then in a, a lovely and, and quiet, relatively quiet action zone compared with the, the busy halls of the blue zone just outside. Um, we're reaching the end of Nature Day here at COP26 and, and what a day it's been. We've had some very significant uh, deforestation commitments, a notable pledge from the UK government and others to support uh, nature and drive more sustainable farming practices. And to discuss some of these developments and more, uh, I'm joined by David Saddington, who's the head of the COP26 Nature campaign within the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Um, David, hello. You've had a very busy day, as you were saying, as we were walking over here. Um, so thanks for taking the time to join us. Perhaps just summarise the day if you can um, and recap what some of the big announcements have been and what you've made of it all. Absolutely. Well, pleasure to be here, Luke. And yeah, it's a very tiring, exhausted day, but uh, really, really thrilled how it's going. I think for, for me, for the team, it's been a fantastic day, of course, to you know put nature right at the heart of the COP presidency again. Of course, we had that earlier in the week with the World Leaders Summit on forest and land use, and today we've managed to build on those you know really solid foundations of what we heard from world leaders earlier in the week. So we started this morning, uh, nine o'clock in the plenary hall, um, with the fact dialogue, the forest agricultural commodity trade dialogue, which was unveiled by the Prime Minister um, and President Jokowi from Indonesia earlier this week and today we heard a lot more of the detail of that roadmap so exactly how our country's going to green supply chains how are we going to have more sustainable trade how are we going to um, tackle deforestation while making our food system more sustainable so we heard from ministers but we also heard from the private sector as well so i think that really strong narrative was coming out around countries and companies now for the you know first time actually pulling in the same direction so that was a really um, heartening moment um, then we moved into um, the very popular session where Idris Elba was speaking around uh, the food system and how we need uh, real serious action on agriculture and the global food system and then just wrapping up in the plenary hall now is talking around nature and the NDCs and how do we have sort of a real focus on nature-based solutions so it's been a really sort of packed day, but yeah, really sort of encouraging announcements coming out from countries, companies, um, more funding announcements, as you mentioned, and really building on what we heard um, earlier in the week. And, and great to see the amount of businesses involved in all of this as well. I think, as you mentioned, that's kind of, I think, perhaps what is really different and noticeably different about this COP over other kind of big international talks is businesses have a seat at the table. You referenced also, just before we came on air, a WWF initiative um, in relation to halving um, impacts. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this was one of the announcements which came in the, the fact session this morning. So, like I said, the fact dialogue is a, is a government-to-government dialogue. But today we heard some really, really strong and aligned announcements from businesses because, of course, you know, governments can't achieve this um, on their own. We had the WWF announcement there, working with five of the biggest UK supermarkets to half the impact of the, uh, the shopping basket on nature by, by 2030, which I think is, is, is really aligned and really sort of helps cement that UK leadership in the space and um, we also heard from PepsiCo around sort of resetting uh, you know what good looks like and actually saying that actually companies need to be forest positive rather than just sort of doing you know stop doing the bad thing actually lose that responsibility to be forest positive we also heard some great data partnerships coming out so Google were talking about this and, and Unilever um, to really sort of get into the transparency and traceability of supply chain which is really exciting and actually I think one of the most exciting things is a commitment from agriculture 
cultural traders um, and we heard that sort of 12 of the biggest trading companies in the world are committing to a 1.5 degree aligned pathway and by the time we get to COP27 they will come forward with that plan on how to achieve that. Yeah, and I like the concept of forest positive. I think that's often um, can get a bit lost that part of the conversation. The fact that there's a there has to be a focus on regeneration and actually giving back. And I think sometimes with net zero, for example, it's about reducing to nothing. Whereas this conversation is about doing a lot more than just reducing to nothing. Um, these new action agendas on on policy change for sustainable food systems um, they've been published today. Um, they're being supported, as we know now, by dozens of, of nations. Um, they obviously have shared principles but how do you think each individual nation will need to kind of adapt to the principles to fit with their particular commodities and, and, and produce um, and their climates um, and, and how will they be adopted here in the UK? I think one of the key things we've heard from today is that the importance of collaboration in all of this and actually no one can do that alone you know we need collaboration between governments, within governments, with governments and the private sector. So I think, you know, what we've heard today is that sense, you know, throughout the day that we do need that collaboration. And we've also heard from, you know, we heard from Ghana earlier, we heard from sort of Liberia, we've heard from Colombia, and actually it's it's very clear to see that, you know, the solutions which work in sort of one part of the world, absolutely you can learn those lessons and think about it, but they're not sort of immediately transferable and you need those sort of bespoke solutions for different um, jurisdictions, you know, even palm oil and, you know, we heard from um, the APOR, the African Palm Oil Initiative in the Ghana Pavilion hosted a fantastic event earlier where they were talking on sort of their efforts to have more sustainable palm oil. But that's a very, uh, you know, different strategy from what might be taken in Southeast Asia, for example. But I think there's a lot we can learn by collaborating um, together and certainly through the fact dialogue, uh, the UK as a consumer of all of these commodities wants to work in really close partnership with producer countries because if we don't sort of all pull in the same direction, we won't be able to achieve that, um, that vision which we have set out to halt and reverse deforestation. Mm. Interesting. We, we also had that £65 million commitment from the UK to the Just Rural Transition Fund, which is, of course, welcome. How will that kind of join up to other areas, especially those areas where policy gaps have been previously pointed out and are very prevalent here with the specifically the $100 billion climate finance pledge, which has been touted uh, a lot, and the UK's overseas um, aid budget, which was, of course, decreased during COVID? I think the supporting smallholders in this and actually putting that just real transition at the, at the centre of our conversation around how do we have more sustainable global food systems is, is so crucially important because around the world, you know, over 1.6 billion people rely on the global food system, you know, uh, particularly in those globally traded commodities like palm oil, like cocoa, for example, which we import into the United Kingdom. So, you know, we need to put smallholder farmers, we need to put sort of um, those right at the heart of this conversation. So the announcements today will really support that. Um, we've also had the announcement made by uh, Secretary of State from DEFRA today around 500 million, uh, which will be invested into the ISLU program. So uh, this will really help support um, scaling sustainable business models. This is already Already, um, for a number of years, uh, the first phase of this project has been supporting sustainable business partnerships in Latin America, in Africa. So we hope that this initiative will continue to grow and support um, those sustainable business models. Your your role then, just kind of, I guess, bringing this background to a kind of UK perspective, if we can. Obviously, we're based in the UK, but your role is is predominantly focused on Bayes' international activities. 
How could these kind of international commitments made today affect policymaking, do you think, here in the UK um, and businesses? Um, I'm thinking of things like the the Environment Bill, um, which many were a little disappointed with going into this COP. So, yeah, how do we translate what's being discussed here at these global talks into, I guess, more localised UK-based actions? I think, uh, uh, thinking back to something that Mark Engel said from Unilever um, earlier when I was, I was discussing with him, that sustainable commodities, when we talk around our food system, we can't have sustainability being a niche market it needs to be mainstream if we need to sort of have this transition that is the only way to achieve that change and actually to do that you need that global partnership you need to be able to flip the global market in favor of sustainability which is why i think working with producer countries working with businesses and actually taking those steps together is so important i mean in the fact dialogue we've convened 28 countries and they represent 76 percent of global trade and um, with the trader announcement i mentioned those 12 traders they cover sort of 85 percent of of global um trade flows so actually sort of working to transition the entire market into a sustainable um, transition is the only way we can actually achieve that so I think it's around sort of taking those steps together in alignment and actually sort of moving forward in the right direction. Well David it's been a long day um, I don't know if this is a day that's actually come to an end yet there's still talks going on I'm, I'm sure um, but I will let you go maybe have a, a, a five minute break if you can um, thank you so much for, for joining us and I'll head back to the guys at home. Yes, thanks again to David there, um, who I saw earlier refers to himself as an enviropreneur on his social media profile. Maybe mm, that you put an ecopreneur, but not enviropreneur. Yeah. So uh, we've had the international perspective from the Panama government. We've had the policy perspective there from a representative of the UK government. Now let's get the business perspective on all this because we're going to move into your chat, Sarah. Tell us who you spoke with. Yes, of course. So this morning, also in the action zone, I managed to catch Andrea Alvarez, um, who works at Natura & Co. So this is a business that you probably know for its brands, um, like The Body Shop and Aesop and Natura, obviously. Um, and she also has a really long job title, so it's an episode okay. for fabulous women with long job titles. She is their chief brand, innovation, international and sustainability um, officer and this is a Brazil based but multinational um, company that really takes its approach to nature seriously and has been advocating in this field for many years mm. so I couldn't think of a better person to interview from the private sector. No okay so uh, let's play that chat with Andrea Alvarez from Natura & Co in full. Yes, thank you, Luke, for that introduction. And I'm delighted to be here in the action zone um, in the middle of a bit of bit less action this morning. It's a Saturday and I think a lot of people are resting um, with Andrea, who is the Chief Brand Innovation um, International and Sustainability Officer at Natura. <laughs> so uh, busy, I, su I suppose. Um, how have you been? I've been fine. It's exciting to be here this week. And thank you for taking the time to come on. I know you guys are putting on a lot of your own events and that it's Nature Day today, which is a big focus. Um, so I guess just recapping, so is today your first day at COP or have you been here this week? It's my first major day at COP, but I arrived a couple of days ago. Great. And yeah, just to reflect on what you've seen so far. So what I know that Nature Day is today and this is a big day for you guys and we can come on to what you're doing later. Um, but yeah, what has stood out to you so far about the announcements in the atmosphere? And that can be maybe for the right reasons or maybe for the wrong reasons. 
Well, I think the deforestation agreement at very early in the week was, was a sign in the right direction, although we still are lacking the short-term commitments that need to come from that. But I think kicking off the week with that declaration or that commitment, I think, was, was good. Um, we, we still need to see more in terms of now making those things become tangible and actually the public policies that need to follow. But I think that was one of the most striking uh, high notes of the week. Yeah, it, it has been sort of cautious optimism to start with, like a, a, a warm welcome in the short term. Um, so you've mentioned the need for clearer plans in the short term, um, but that might not come until afterwards and it's likely to be nation specific. So is there anything else you'd like to see announced here on Nature Day? And I know that we've been covering what Natura has been doing about the UN Convention on Biological Diversity as well. Um, one of many businesses saying essentially that the treaty is a good start, but nowhere near enough. It needs to go further than what it's doing at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, I hope we walk out of here today with an agreement on nature as ambitious as the Paris Agreement in terms of having goals, targets and specific commitments that um, all of nations, companies, governments put down um, for nature-based solutions that can actually protect, conserve, reforest, uh, protecting not only the biodiversity that's there and creating solutions for bioeconomy, but also protecting protecting the indigenous people and the traditional peoples that are actually the ones that protect the forest and keep it standing. That's something that definitely stood out about that forest announcement that, that you mentioned, got a lot of reaction in from those kind of groups. Exactly. So I think there was, um, you know, funds set aside for protecting indigenous people, 1.7 billion, if I'm not mistaken. That's, again, a good direction but we need to do more we need to make sure that that you know those funds get to the people and that they are actually a means for their livelihood while they are protecting these ecosystems as well as you know payment for environmental services recognizing the value of nature standing yeah, I think the statistic is that while indigenous peoples are only still managing about 5% of land surface, it's 80% of biodiversity in the regions that they're in. So that's so important. No, absolutely. And we've seen that close hand. We've been in the Amazon region for over 20 years now as Natura. And we've seen very close the power of regeneration as well as the you know the impact of degradation so when you create regenerative business models that can actually create alternative livelihoods you know you protect the forest and we all need that protection Great. Well, we've been covering what you guys have been doing internally over the past year with things like the sustainability bond, as well as some of that external engagement, like with the UNCBD that we've mentioned. Um, but I want to zoom in on what's happening today. As you say, it's a busy day for the company. Um, and I've been made aware that later today, the Body Shop, one of your brands, um, is hosting an event with B Lab, the B Corp certifiers, um, whereby youth activists are going to be invited in and they'll get to scrutinise the sustainability strategy. Um, so I'd like to get your view on why it's important for that conversation to be had and then how those suggestions will be taken on board after tonight. Well absolutely in terms of the bond well we have a commitment as a, as a group to become net zero by 2030 so we need action on getting there. Um, so there are many many plans inside the company for us to re-engineer our businesses so that we can actually become net zero over time. In the case of the Body Shop event later today we believe that youth activism is a 
a very strong um, instrument for generating action, sense of urgency, and you know pressuring governments and companies to change. So we've embodied that spirit. The Body Shop has an activist um, soul for a very long time, and I think bringing them in in the in the essence of the boardroom 2030 agenda, where you can envision yourself in 2030 and then make different decisions today is a, a way to embed that thinking inside the company. I've heard this week from a lot of companies that now actually have shadow boards or activist boards even and I feel like that conversation wouldn't have maybe happened a few years ago or if it did it would maybe be someone that they were friends with already. <laughs> I think companies are changing, yes, I think definitely. I think in the case of Natur & Co, we've been this, you know, kind of different company for a very long time where we've embodied that spirit that we need to, you know, produce positive impact in every society in which we operate and we need to continuously go in that direction. So bringing this youth view is very refreshing and I think will do us very good. Great, and that's an event that's happening here in Glasgow, but back down south in London, there's actually an exhibition being supported by Natura at the Science Museum. Um, as you say, it's called Amazonia and gives us a peek directly into what's happening on the ground. Um, and it, it features photographs, nature and climate change campaigning artifacts from Sebastian Salgado. Um, and I feel like that's quite unique as well and quite eye-catching. So what do you think the role for businesses is in sort Sorry. So what do you think the role for business is in supporting these intersections, so art, activism and culture? Absolutely fundamental. I mean, I think art has an, a major role to play in creating the sensitivity in society for us to take action. And Sebastian Salgado is, is you know, an extraordinary photographer and he has depicted in a beautiful way um, the impacts and what nature could be like if we protected it. So I think it kind of, kind of makes us view things in, in a more, in a deeper way. And I think that stimulates action. So we're, we're very proud of that. We're also um, investing in, in other initiatives as well, uh, both right and left brain type of investments um, because we have believed in that for a very long time. I'll have to check it out when we go back but it's as you say to get down on the ground we all see like oh millions of hectares cleared and x proportion of species at risk but to actually see the imagery and get a feel of what it's like I presume is completely different. Absolutely and I think what we've done is we've com combined um, both hard facts with sensitivity. So we've also launched a portal called Plenamata, which is a portal in, in partnership with Map Biomas and Hack Lab, where we are constantly promoting and showcasing the numbers on deforestation, as well as showcasing good examples of reforestation. So, you know, we can actually create the engagement and the understanding of what's actually happen, happening with science, as well as connecting to the softer side and this more emotional, but very, very impactful and, and potent side of art with Sebastian Salgado. Well, I'm sure that that's very important for Nature Day. Nature is a very emotive topic for a lot of people, um, I've found, and we could stay and talk all day, but I'll, go, I'll, let, I'll let you get going and um, preparing for those events, Andrea. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. And a pleasure to have you. And I'm going to hand back over to the team in EDHQ. Thanks to Andrea there from Natura & Co. Uh, rounding off our nature-themed episode of COP26 Covered. 
Right, okay, I think that is us done for the night then. Really? Such an abrupt ending? And we're not going to have our usual features, Luke? <laughs> Funny you should say that. I could see it on the tip <laughs> of your tongue. Um, yeah, I have a sad announcement to make. Hopefully we can play some sombre music over this part of the show. But basically, I think we should say farewell to our listener quiz segment for a number of reasons. Number one, it's very difficult to keep track and remember these questions every time, as evidenced by me forgetting them. Uh, most of the week. I mean, did you ask one yesterday at the end of your climate protest, Matt? No, I, no. Could, I could, you know, the rhyme was on the wall for this so segment. Right. It you're was, you're just saying that I can be trusted to do this segment, but neither of you can. That's basically <laughs> what we're saying. And uh, the idea was that people would provide answers each day, and the person with the most correct answers um, at the end of the two weeks would win a prize. But from my last count, there's a handful of people that have answered more than one right, but uh, all of them are outside of the UK. We've had two from Belgium, one from the Netherlands, and one from India. And we as much rising as up the Belgian podcast mm. list, this is though, it, yeah, so exactly. Big in Belgium. So Brexit um, means you can't get your champagne there easily. Well, Brexit and just the high shipping costs generally for a bottle of kind of mid-range Carver just doesn't make it worth our while. Just, you know, encourage them to go to the nearest supermarket and buy their own. Yeah. Send a gift card. This is true, yeah. Um, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's unsustainable. Obviously, I should mention shipping out there. So um, all things considered, we're ditching the listener quiz, but uh, we'll have a think about a new listener segment for the show and, and come back stronger on that front, perhaps when we relaunch our main uh, Sustainable Business Covered podcast. More to come on that soon. So, Matt, Sarah, you'd better get packing because uh, we've got to check out of this youth hostel, early doors. Quick reflections before we go. Matt, what are you going to miss most about COP? Oh, blue carpets. Love them. Um, probably something I'll introduce into my own house if, if my uh, girlfriend will let me. Blue carpets just everywhere. Love it. Love it. Sarah? I mean, just being around like-minded people. I have a, a T-shirt from Music Declares Climate Emergency and I've actually been heckled about it in Tesco's before being like, climate change isn't real. <laughs> So it's been nice to not have to deal with that and being around so many great and thoughtful people. But Matt gave not yeah, so no, deep I, of an answer. I, I agree with that as well, but blue carpets. <laughs> Matt will also miss the media silence. Yeah. yeah. It beckons to him. Exactly. Um, before we go, Matt, do you want the good news or the bad news? I will take the bad news. The bad news is that you're cleaning this kitchen. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, because I'd forgotten that you'd, uh, I'd almost forgotten that you'd lost our football bet earlier on. Basically, Matt thought that United would beat City. For anyone who's interested, don't know what had got into your head there. So rubber gloves, I believe, are in the cupboard near the inflatable banana. Um, well, if happiness never decreases, <laughs> if it's shared, then surely the washing up should be shared as well. Mm, no. Is that the match we're going for? No. We, we had an agreement. No. Uh, the good news is that we're ordering t- takeaway tonight, so uh, that'll fuel you ahead of tomorrow's journey back down to the global south. Happy days. Um, so, I think that's about it. Um, I'll close off with another bit of good news for our listeners, because we'll be back with another episode of COP26 cover tomorrow, Sunday, I hope, I think, um, because... I'm due to be taken on a tour of Glasgow um, to explore there, explore Glasgow's sustainability story, courtesy of WWF Scotland. So I'll be visiting Whiteley Farm, which is the UK's second largest onshore wind farm, and Ed's Moss Peatland, which is now being restored as a peat bog and carbon sink, which sounds very wet and windy, uh, but should make for a fun episode. So. Until then, from our home away from home, uh, for the last time here in central Glasgow, it's a goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.